0: Welcome to episode 56 of Etc. Etc. I'm your host, Aug Stone. Been a bit of a hectic week here, but through it all, I've finally found the time to explore Nikki Sutton's discography properly. And there's some real gems in there. I recommend checking it out, especially Pin Your Heart to Me has been on my stereo quite a bit. Some other cool stuff was that my friend Stacy spied a copy of my Nick Cave's Bar memoir at Northshire Books in Manchester, Vermont, and sent me a pic of it. If anyone wants to send pics of you reading Nick Cave's Bar, if you see it at a store, I'd love to put them up on my Instagram, so please do. Oh, and I'm looking for a copy of Nicky Sutton's autobiography, if anyone has one they want to sell. I found a few online, but international shipping has just gotten insane lately. And I also had a great chat with today's guest, Mr. Mikey Jordson, who on his latest album, Simply the Best, is going by the name Mr. Mikey. It's got my favorite song of the year so far on it, Russian Dolls, and a bunch of other great tunes. Scatterbrain is another one that's been stuck in my head a lot lately. If you don't know Mikey's work, I highly recommend checking it out. David Devant and his spirit wife and the Mr. Solo, Civilized Scene, and Carfax Records. Actually, the last Carfax record has a tune Mikey and I wrote together on it called Straight Face. I've always thought Mikey was a musical genius, an incredible sense of melody, and always interesting lyrics, so it was an honor to collaborate with him. We've also done a short comic together a few years back, The Knowledge of Princesses, which is uh, you can find it at augstone.com. And Mikey sang the great lingering backing vocal on my last Young Southpaw single, Ura Burros." I've interviewed him a few times over the years, back in 2008 for the Cheap and Plastique fanzine, and then for The Quietest when the Civilized Scene record came out. And he was one of the first guests on the Etcetera podcast last year when Southpaw was hosting it. So let's get to it. All right, we're here today with Mikey Jordan, who is looking fantastic. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you, Org. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here.
0: Oh, thanks for coming back on the show. Last time it was Young Southpaw, and we seem to have switched places, I guess because there are audio listeners as well. I will describe you are now wearing some very cool shades, a la Mr. Southpaw, oh, and a, yeah, yeah. a captain's hat.
1: It's a, yeah, it's a captain's hat. Um, were these? We, I recently filmed a video with uh, Professor who was uh, drumming on the album, Mr. Mikey, which is my name now for this, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this look all came together very swiftly in the morning, a visit to the dressing-up shop looking for helium balloons. And uh, there there it was, the captain's hat and two pairs of aviator shades. Okay. But,
0: you seem to have yeah. a, a, some sort of mystical relationship with uh, dress shops, as there was the Mister Solo on Holloway Road years ago, was there not? Oh
1: yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But the whole thing about dressing up is uh, it, it's interesting, actually. You know, one of my earliest memories is uh, my sister's dressing up party. My sisters were both older than me, and I remember a sunny day in the back garden by the sea seemed the garden seemed to be full of beautiful girls in dressing up costumes and and i was too so um i i kind of say that as a way of avoiding being a part-time punk you know i don't necessarily dress all the time like mr mikey but uh dressing up is part of the material vitality of of life that's the the ritual of of finding temporal substance you know creating meaningful moments within life and uh, yeah we met a lot of happy people on our quest which we i might tell you about as we go on
0: <laughs> yeah i I'm curious. I'm Right now, first off, I want to get to the bottom of the uh, the name change. Mr. Mikey.
1: Yeah. Well, that explains it, I guess. Uh, in a again, way. it's like a contingent moment of happenstance. Uh, we
0: so that was all- real. But, yeah. uh, listeners, we're now looking at the album cover, which is uh, Mr. Mikey in front of a Mr. Mikey ice cream van. I thought yes. that was photoshopped. By, no. I should have known better knowing you that, yes, there would have been some moment of yeah. happenstance.
1: Yeah. And there was a kind of upsurge of felt intensities. And, uh, you know, it's not, I'm not promoting sugar, sugary cold snacks. It's just that, that feeling of uh, the potential for the emergence of. Change uh, for a child, an ice cream van. Some, well, for me at least, it 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 had that felt intensity about it. Um, so yeah, when we we found it by, the, we were walking along, and there it was. And then I remembered that I'm ordinarily called Mr. Solo. So, and I've had this whole bullshit thing with my name all my life so why not uh make mr mikey a kind of fictional reality in becoming um so that's something that i, I enjoy it's kind of, like i'm saying it's sort of making these moments of experiential joy yeah
0: going with the inverse of that if you were eating some ice cream while dressed up would you fear spilling the ice cream onto said clothes uh probably yeah yeah i don't know um over the pandemic i got really into undressing for dinner because i (laughs) i was eating lots of soups and liquids and i and spicy like kimchi and i didn't want to spill them i bought these really comfortable white shorts which if you know you're stuck in your house all day you know you want to be comfortable and they looked cool as well after argyle design but i would Take them off whenever I went into the kitchen to eat, <laughs> so I wouldn't spill on them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I maybe I shouldn't be admitting that to the public, but uh, it was a no, vital like part it. of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, sorry if I gave too much information. uh Yeah, no, uh, I'm quite messy when it comes to yeah getting food on my clothes and things, and paint or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but so. I become more conscious of it, I suppose. Yeah,
0: I realized that when I finally was in the presence of other people that I could just pay a bit more attention to what I'm doing, (laughs) so I won't spill and not having to, you know, get as naked as I could in front of them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I know what you mean, though. Eating and not making a mess. it's very English, I suppose. Yeah.
0: The the ice cream fact of it too though, there's something there's like a connection with pop music there, with the sweetness, as you mentioned, and the sort of
1: uh joy yeah. it brings. Yeah, yeah. I think I I met Mark Mark Morris, who was in the Blue Tones. He gave me his album. I think that had an ice cream on the front. Yeah. It's sort of throw away sweet is that yeah yeah i, I enjoy it. yeah i i yeah a, ni- a 99 is a thing of beauty i suppose it's and it's a completely contingent design it's not designed is it it's just how it comes out oh you've got a cone and some soft ice cream and or oh, look good with a flaking but it ends up looking like the perfect design.
0: <laughs> it does.
1: Yeah. But, Which uh yeah.
0: Sorry, go on.
1: That's kind of uh what I mean by ma- possibly that's material vitality. You know, something seeming intended because it's made with felt intensity. But,
0: <laughs> but the songs on the new record are anything but throwaway. You yeah delve into some quite deep stuff i'm mean, from the get go
1: yeah i think um i mean that's something that i've had to uh uh fathom and and a co- when people started saying about it oh it it's uh is it introverted uh you know there's a sort of in in introversion about some of the lyrics um as well as an openness and uh uh, that that was nice that someone added the openness you know because i always think that's the point of what i'm doing is kind of just being open not uh putting any sort of hindrance in in the uh, in the way of the expression of the idea and uh if it lands that that's good but uh yeah i think there are some introvert i at introversion. I'm not sure that's the right phrase. Do you know what I'm I'm getting at? I suppose they're they're about those uh, yeah moments, dark nights of the soul. Maybe I don't. Know. Is that, introversion is that seems like the right word. <laughs> yeah, but I I mean I I don't want it to seem indulgent. It's mm. uh, it. I think it's sharing introversion as a sort of plurality. You know, this is my introversion. Uh, Does it connect with your introversion? Uh, You know, sort of singular plurality, because I think there's a lot of, I mean, it's something I like to think about and could discuss is, you know, this whole death of the author and the singular creativity is something that's a bit, oh, that's embarrassing and shameful. but actually that's a part of a whole hierarchical construct which has kind of killed that as a valid mode of expression because it sort of got subsumed by the what we call the colonial extractivist mode you know we turned the individual into a consumer commodity rather than actually acknowledging that everybody is a creative entity or and that that movement towards creativity is is part of uh, the cosmos and becoming you know it's, it's in us all and uh yeah so i guess those conundrums are part of that existential angst maybe i mean the the, the song you might be thinking of uh p-a-i-n <laughs> uh pain you know that was uh discursive song because uh you, as you know i love william blake and he you know he wrote marriage of heaven and hell which is kind of all about uh, i think dissol- dissolving that dichotomy of contrasts and acknowledging that there's a felt intensity within the middle which kind of needs no contrast and uh you know, this came out hearing several times. You know, oh, we need the pain to experience pleasure, and I sort of thought about that. I thought, is that true? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's real pleasure is like this joy in becoming that doesn't need any previous reference points. Mm. Uh, those reference points can become part of its material vitality and therefore emerging within the middle. But it's not really comparative. It's not part of a cultural judgment. I think that's that I think although the song itself doesn't seem to say that,
0: you seem quite yeah. fond of the song. I was wondering, I mean, you've given it you know the lead off track on the album, oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh yeah now I keep moving online I sort of on, I think on on the on the uh CD it's track 2 but I moved it back to track 1 online and I think what it was is uh my friend Ashley Haynes, who made the documentary about Devon came on tour with us in the sort of uh, late in the late 90s um He just contacted me and said, I love this song. I've made a video for it. And uh, it totally reinvented the song for me, seeing it as that video. And um, I I was kind of able to enjoy it in a way that I probably, you know, I couldn't do when it was just the music because it was Mm. too much of me. And seeing all those uh, TikTok people dancing to it, (laughs) uh, it became quite emotional. You know, I had that sort of, I I could uh, have a a subjective experience of it. Interesting.
0: Yeah, because the video, you're not in it at all. Am I right? Or it's mostly, well, yeah, yeah. Well, but
1: yeah, um...
0: Yeah. (laughs) it is all TikTok people.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not one of them. <laughs> yeah. What
0: what's the first song on the C D?
1: Um, it picks up C D. Uh I have to put my glasses on.
0: <laughs> Costume change.
1: Oh, uh, change of scene, which is the song we just made a video for. Um
0: this is what you and the professor were doing.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, i because we've made a video for it, I've been listening to it a lot, and uh, it's sounding really hefty. I'm pleased to say, you know it it bears repeat, I think it bears repeat place, you know, And I love uh, Graham, the professor's drumming. I mean he he and I formed, you know, we were the original members of Devon. And and it was just like a really close friendship, really. He would come round my house and drum and on a suitcase. Uh I think the kick drum was the suitcase that the snare was carried in. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And, uh, and I, I think want. my drums at the time were probably terrible. But uh, you know, Graham, the professor, was always exceedingly encouraging. And I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because it allows it to grow and develop, and uh, that's that's what I might call, you know, it's like an affirmative position instead of going, oh, oh don't do that because that bit's shit, and uh, sounds like that, uh, you know, like you end up talking yourself out of everything.
2: Mm.
1: But what happened with Devon is that we arrived at a place where we could write songs about anything and make take any shape to the songs um rather than sort of being within a sort of indie pop idiom uh i think that my would you probably correctly say it was also to do with the sort of whole vaudevillian history of brighton which kind of infused our being and uh which is funny, isn't it? Because it's about the same time that the vaudevillian aspects of bands like Blur started to emerge. But, you know, I don't. We, we named ourselves after a dead magician that I'd made a print of, Dave Devon and his spirit wife, and that sort of, that created the flavour of the band. And, uh, yeah, so... A bit like the 99 it felt good like that and becomes a concept you know the concept comes from the experience rather than the other way around i don't know yeah yeah but
0: where did you encounter the mr mikey van
1: uh am i allowed to say yeah it was on the south coast uh of england yeah sort of never each, west of worthing but it's not
0: not where you live right it was no completely unexpected
1: yeah yeah i mean i think he's got a facebook page ah. so uh <laughs> yeah i just thought. i mean the thing is uh I, yeah maybe i think this through but i think you know that whole business of taking moments in life and making them matter for expression, or as I'd call that, uh, it meant I thought, no, sod it, you know, I'm just going to do this now rather than think, is it a good idea to name myself after an ice cream van? Probably not. No, I just went with the feeling, you know. <laughs> Hmm. and uh, did it quickly. You know, it was like at at the beginning of the summer is when I saw it, and that album was going to be called I O U, uh, Mr. Solo Album. And uh, so it sort of, as the last few tracks were added, I thought, no, it's simply the best, which is the last thing I think of calling an album. But because it was on the ice cream van, I had to call it that.
0: (laughs) Now, you have two covers on the album. Were you tempted to cover the Tina Turner song, Simply the Best?
1: (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, it would be quite good if I did, but it's not on Simply the Best.
0: I love it's it on when, the next one. Yeah, that's the best when title tracks appear, not on the album with that title. Yeah, like as a B side or on like, the next one.
1: It's, it's world shut your mouth. Is that
0: two albums later? Uh, the song yeah. came on Saint Julian. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Houses of the Holy was on Physical Graffiti. Um, there's other like great examples that I I'm
1: yeah. the blank on right <laughs> now, but I like that though. But a cover version, <laughs> yeah. I don't
0: think it's been done before. The cover version. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, I got a lot of respect for Tina. I think she. I I saw her live on the telly the other day. Yeah, she's she's got uh, felt intensity. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> so there. <laughs> But I bet. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it a go. Walk. Watch this space. Excellent. <laughs> it's got that one note bass thing. Doom, 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 which might make it tricky for strumming. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Simply the best. Yeah. Okay. All right. And and the album. Yeah. So, it, it
0: what do you got there?
1: <laughs> you, after you.
0: Uh, I forgot what I was going to say, but you seem to be holding up something else that just. Oh no! I was
1: just uh, reading the, uh, the 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 uh, titles of the songs. I quite enjoyed putting that together. That's, uh, you know, like an old ice cream menu.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah. Which is a thing of beauty. Yeah.
0: So, so the covers that are on this album, yeah. tell me about choosing those.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, which Smile I was asked to cover by Harry Pye. Um, there's a version of it by the peddlers uh, which is sort of jazz they're a jazz beat group Uh, I love them the singer's got a very distinct voice but their version of Smile is out of this world um so I think my approach to cover versions with with that one it's sort of like I picked up a book And it had the chords and the lyrics in and uh, I sang it, you know, so it's kind of (laughs) very direct. Just like seeing what comes out of me when I'm presented with that information, the chords and the lyrics and and then I have a go at it.
0: Wow, because that I would never have guessed it was that song from the intro, which is this totally like. Fuzzed out blissy, it was like pure 1993 oh, yeah, yeah. guitar sound, yeah. which I loved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes into smile, so it was this sort of weird yeah, disconnect, yeah. but it totally works.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, there must be various musicians out there who hear that kind of music that you're talking about and think, I'd like to do that, I, you know, that's a really good sound. So I think that was in there, but I just thought, well, here's the chord. Let's all play the chord, which is what that sound is. You know, it's like every instrument is playing that chord
2: mm.
1: and, and it sort of just comes out resonating. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I was, I was also quite pleased in that. Uh, in the middle of that, there's a sort of instrumental break in smile which is in all the versions and it was good excuse to dig out the cassio vl tone to do the, the solo and uh, i i've given it away now i'm i'm going to turn the light on there we go <laughs> yeah so yeah the Casio vl tone uh, oh, nice. is you know the human league played Get Carter on that, uh, on the Dare album? So it goes again, with your
0: hat surprisingly well. Like, it, it just, yeah, I mean,
1: this has a sort of felt intensity. I've had that since I was, uh, what 11. Same, and uh, if I don't play it too often, I still get that thrill, you know. of When I was a kid, like this is a machine that actual pop stars use. (laughs) So, yeah. And uh, the other cover is Ashes to Ashes. And and I was just trying to remember what made me cover it. I think what it was is I heard it on the radio (laughs) and thought, I wonder if there's a song there um because um you know, ever since I was a kid, i can I remember it was only since I got hearing aids in later life that I was able to sort of hear how songs are put together more obviously, and um with ashes to ashes, I still had that sort of sense of oh, this is an otherworldly um entity. It's not really a song. It's just a sound being, and um, and I just couldn't hear the chords in it. You know, do you know what I mean? I, yeah. What are the chords? <laughs> so I searched it up, and um, lo and behold, there are chords, and it's a song, and it's it's very like a Bowie song, but because it's got all the. You know, you yeah. you don't really notice it's about the styling. So I, I did enjoy that. And then yeah, just discovering the simple I, I mean he's an exquisite melody and harmony uh creator as well as a stylist, you know. Uh yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. And then, of course, you know, there was that whole weird coincidence that I went on holiday with my parents. There was a, and we both arrived late because we got the postcode wrong, flopped on a sofa. Oh, let's look at what this cottage is about. Ah, the video for Ashes to Ashes was filmed on the beach outside. Um, So my mum, being a very good sport, you know, said she agreed to come out and film the video with me in the squally rain because, again, I, 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 you know, I had that felt intensity of wow, look, that's the beach because hmm. the tide goes right out. It looks like a sort of strange alien planet. And uh, with the cliff, so and and you yourself, I I believe you you're interested in Carl Jung, and he would always say, you know, that moments of synchronicity, are, you know, they're a sign that you're on the the right the right path, not in a righteous sense, but in a sort of nutritious, creative sense. Mm. Most um, definitely,
0: yeah. And that, uh, that is the most excellent synchronicity.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, synchronicity knocked. I could have said, oh, no, I can't be bothered, actually. Uh, but no. Yeah it, it, uh, yeah. it worked out really well. It was lovely. You know, it's, and again, uh, you know, I'm quite interested in how art, uh, something that's ritualistic, actually can help enfold life and meaning. In, another, in a way that doesn't ordinarily occur. You know, so di- making that video with my mum as a piece of ritualistic art to- totally shifted uh, the dynamic and the relation between us for that sort of uh, emergent uh, creative moment of becoming. Uh, It was good, you know, I think my mum really enjoyed it, and I did, yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Yeah, and of course, uh, the equally big thrill was just like suddenly having an entity come into my head and tell me how to make the visual effect on the video that was the same, because it was such a strange, convoluted way of making it. I, you know originally thought oh there's bound to be a filter that i just press and it will instantly look like ashes to ashes but uh lo and behold there wasn't uh not so, yet you had to imagine but it, so. uh, i could i could make one yeah so essentially it's just like a layering with green screen positive and negative and press the button and then it it was like, wow, that's it, you know.
0: So you got I quite think, into green screen stuff over the pandemic. I remember there being some some very good videos. Uh,
1: I mean, I, I developed my relationship with uh, green screens uh, during my doctorate. Um, and I think, again, you know, it's a bit like the Casio Vial tone it has a sense of material vitality uh the green screen to my generation is just like an impossibly magical thing i mean maybe not to everyone in my generation but like (laughs) the way it kind of makes this instant tapestry of uh experience it's uh yeah it's it's lit. it is magical but in a way that, uh, you know, that actual real life is a fictive encounter emerging, uh, that, that's how I kind of feel about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, um, I lecture as well and we gave all our students the uh, sort of green party tablecloth. So we all experimented with green screens. I'm like a green screen evangelist, but then <laughs> Foz told me, "No, it shouldn't actually be green. the The optimum color is a specific gray." Oh, um, but uh, you know, they it's went a, for the a,
0: rhyme, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gray screen just doesn't have the same ring to it as green screen. <laughs> uh,
1: gray screen, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yes. Yeah,
0: so tell me about Russian Dolls. That is my favorite on the album. It's just a fantastic yeah. tune.
1: You're you're gonna hate me. Oh uh, no! Is uh, now I've remixed it online. The uh, the version online is a, is a remix. Um, sorry, folks, uh, but so the one on the CD is an earlier mix i mean there's probably not anything in it to most people it's quite an old song or i don't know you must have songs that you you never finish yeah i just thought i've had this you i think you knew i remember there was like
0: a minute long version on corporate records at one point or something
1: yeah yeah and uh i'd never figured out how to finish it and uh I I was just in a good place, worked out how to finish it. I think having some time during lockdown probably helped, yeah.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, like, it's a bit like a middle eight, isn't it, the verse in that, Um, which sort of goes somewhere else. Mm. My my friend uh, Harry said that uh you know if people happened upon that they'd think it was like either an undiscovered 70s balladeer or a, a 90s voice singer young boy singer hmm. <laughs> i had not thought of it that way <laughs> but there i i got a sense of that in the sort of Emergence has no comparison. Oh no! In the choruses, it it has that sort of boy band feel, but that's just to me. I was <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, "Oh no, this sounds really good, but it's a bit boy band." <laughs> I think it's because I double track the vocal.
0: There you
1: go. <laughs> yeah. What What do What do you think? Sorry, I'm.
0: I just thought it was a lovely ballad. I could see the 70s uh, ballad quality to it, but the boy band was a uh, new information to me, but I'm going to have that in mind when I put it on later.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't intentional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, I was just trying to play it as simply as possible. I think that's one of the the things through the album is not to over embellish <laughs>
0: So that's simply the
1: best, is a, has a sort of double meaning. <laughs> yeah. I like it. That, thank you, Org. Oh, you're yeah. welcome. <laughs> yeah, simply the best. Yeah. <laughs> you have, there are, yeah. Go on. I was there just going to say there are some sort of little embellishments throughout the album. Because the, the other thing I thought is yeah, have fun with the instrumental arrangement yeah so contradicting myself
0: there <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you consider that you have like a relationship with russian art i'm thinking here of um the lyric from one thing after another we were doomed from the start reading too much Dostoevsky."
1: oh yeah um well i i think there is anotherness isn't there and uh my friend graham bendel is that a name drop? <laughs> yeah, so he's written a book called *The Comforter*, and he sent it to me, and I wrote back to him eventually saying how much I loved it and how much, in my head, it sounded like it was translated from Russian, and uh, that that's a sort of tone that really appeals to me. It's kind of there's anotherness and a sense of otherness and a sort of detached, subjective experience uh, that, that that is totally kind of at odds to the sort of conventional Western tone of novels. Yeah. I, I mean, I re- I'm a member of that. There's a website, a, a Facebook group, which is, you know, sort of Russian imagery and films and... And I, I'm aware that you shouldn't really romanticise the Eastern Bloc because there's a lot of trauma associated with it. But at, at the same time, it is an opening, ironically, onto a sense of the possibility of change. Uh, that, and that's kind of uh, that's joyful but deeply ironic if mm. Get what I mean? Yeah, I do. yeah. So, yeah. So I back mean, to, to, go on. No, no. After you.
0: <laughs> um, circling back to the, the simplicity of it. Um, "Gilded Cage" is the most folky thing I've ever heard you do. Oh yeah, sort of minor English ballad, y sort of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's interesting it interests me to think where do these things come from Hmm. but um I mean I did grow up with a dad who sung me folk songs uh uh, you know instead of reading he'd sit on the bed and sing grisly folk songs uh so I love that yeah and they were all about murder and really horrible things which <laughs> 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 yeah so uh i was just trying there's a guitarist uh Fahy, his surname F- f-a-h-e-y john uh, hmm? john it's john yeah. yeah and uh a friend put me on to him uh, the friend who put me on to him, uh, I've got his, he made this album. He's called Retep Folo. Um, but uh, John Fahey kind of helped me understand how there is a sort of mode of making music that's more akin to making art. Um, not I don't mean in a highbrow way, but when I make a painting or a print, you know, all the all the mistakes and personality are they're a valid part of the tapestry of that image's meaning. And in music, that's often, uh, you know, erased. You've got to make it perfect and shaped. So, um, yeah, he gave me an opening onto that, and that song I think has some of that in there yeah it was actually quite a hard one to record oh huh.
0: yeah one thing i've always noticed is that the energy of a demo when i'm writing it if i record as i'm writing i can never yeah. recapture that despite there being you know mis quote-unquote mistakes in you know the playing like the flub notes or whatever if i go back and play it perfectly you know again in quotes yeah. it just doesn't have that magic of the original uh idea spewing forth on the
1: tape. I, yeah, I think, um, I, I, I mean, I'm very aware of that. And I think that experience helps you to not overlook at what the process, uh, mm. cognitively as you're re-recording or that helps me at least is to sort of carry on feeling it. Um, and I think I've got better at retaining the what I would call emergence because that is the joy of a song, is is its emergence. And I think that could be why, you know, a lot of people find it hard to finish them because the, the joy of it is how it emerges. Yeah. And the shaping it up is not as intense. Um, and yet I think there is, uh, you know, through experience you can – somehow allow that to continue to emerge.
0: Have yeah. you seen um the McCartney documentary, McCartney 321 with Rick Rubin? Uh, no. I don't know if it's available in Britain, but uh yep. over I here it's it. yeah. it's fantastic. And one thing that struck me was he was talking about how he and John always finished songs, like yeah. when they were writing them. And I think that's a big thing. Like if you leave it yeah and to get away from that initial magic but if you sit there through it and yeah. finish it you know
1: yeah 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 i love that i mean that to me is part of the aesthetic um so if you haven't got enough time make that part of the aesthetic hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is so the art does you you know that's the old adage isn't it it uh, that you don't do art it does you so, if you've only got that time, then do it there, and what comes out comes out um yeah, you can there's no rules though that's <laughs> true <laughs> I think that that helps it's, uh yeah,
0: tell Not me about beat. scatterbrain that was another one of my favorites
1: yeah, well that I think um. It's one of those songs where anthropologists will go, ah, you see? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I kind of, it's like a, a pie in to, you know, being scatterbrained is a bad thing in our culture. But I think I just suddenly thought, well, actually, it's a diverse, creative, emergent, Materially vital way of being, you know, with nomadic freedoms. And it was an attempt to celebrate that. I celebrate the, you know, so it's not bad to have a scatterbrain. It's perfectly natural. And in fact, not having a scatterbrain is about control. Um, so, you know, meandering is where difference and emergence and frankly, useful stuff occurs. And it's by all facing the same way in our sort of regimented non-scatter brain that we can repeatedly fail to find the meandering potential.
0: Bringing us back to the right brain, left brain dichotomy.
1: That uh, Well, yeah, I mean, that's one way of... Of looking at it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, can left brain control order, linguistic uh, control, right brain, what I would call, you know, sort of radical empiricism, you know. Your, my experience of the wildflower is a direct and emergent one. It's not a flawed version of a perfect flower. Up in this transcended space, It's my transcendence comes from that real contingent experience. Uh, that you know, that's a sort of very. I think that's a Blakeian way of experiencing, encountering life. So we're not sort of thinking. You know, for me, I'm not thinking about life as something that relates to a previous, pre-given. Set of information, although it's, it's it's almost impossible to avoid that. You know <laughs> the guy <laughs> but um,
0: yeah. Have you read Finnegan's Wake? No,
1: I, I must.
0: Are you familiar?
1: Uh, vaguely, yeah. I'm sort of working up to it. I think
0: I've I've had no, it
1: for- very important to uh, Marshall McLuhan, who I love you Know part of his whole sense that as uh, beings or becomings, we inhabit uh, an acoustic 360 degree space. You know, as a, what which I also think relates to you know, what I'm calling radical empiricism, you know, using the senses to encounter in a, a full on in the round. Not fixed point perspective codified version, and uh, so the McLuhan gets that from Finnegan's Wake, I believe.
0: Excellent, yeah. Finnegan's I started, wake. Yes, I started <laughs> yeah. it last week after you know 15 years of wanting to read it and having read a lot about it, and it is just wonderful. Um and i find i have to read it aloud to myself as i read it with my eyes because it's meant to be perceived you know both ways you know visually and yeah. orally but it's all about it's kind of like just the the language of just before thoughts enter into the being as thoughts and language it's a sort of like you know the wow. uh, everything that goes into what comes into you know emerges as a word because there's so much yeah. plurality going on, it's it's I I'm loving it. So I think you might as well. Oh, that's pretty, yeah,
1: I can see that in in your work org. Yeah, the sort of, <laughs> of relationality and uh, the meandering. Uh, yeah, I, and I think you know I don't want to sort of go on about it. But it a while a, a couple of years ago, I did a show and I read some stuff and. people there said oh i hadn't realized before how important emergence was to your work and uh and i think that that is the sense of longing that we have you know we feel that joy of emergence but then once that's in this realm of uh civilized progressive order it entropy begins and uh yeah you know so how do you remain indigenous to nature and remain in the realm of emergence where you're not basing your culture on a pre-given judgment Uh, um you know the words are these carriers words didn't know they were going to become so important they just thought oh we'll fill in for a bit yeah this is good oh no we're we're fucking everything (laughs) you know (laughs) So, I
0: read somebody describing Finnegan's Wake as um, Joyce's belief that the fall of man coincided with the fall into language, which I was like, yeah, that,
2: that's yeah. very good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I it's um, the shame of equivalence, you know, and I, uh, culturally, that, that's why, you know, when I write songs and we write songs. I think that is a realm of emergence, you know, and it's not completely about linguistic order and uh, controlled sense. So that's what it is for me. But...
0: uh, That's something I've always liked about your songs is that I'm often surprised by the lyric of what the rhyme is. It is not expected.
1: Yeah. Well, listen... It's an opening onto something other than the, you know, what's the word? <laughs> the homogenous mode. Yeah. Of, And I think uh, a lot of those 60s pop writers, you know, they sort of drew upon nonsense verse because that, again, is an opening onto something that is more about feeling and intensity the the feeling of language, and I think uh, even with William Burroughs, you know, in the cut up, it, it that's about the materiality of words and reclaiming that because that's that aesthetic and feeling is essentially, I I think, and other people think, I think you know that that's how stuff works, and all the codified stuff is kind of uh, a a toehold that helps us to navigate. Mm. So um cutting language up like Burroughs makes it more vital again. It creates a felt intensity. And I think I've always thought I don't know because I've got hard I'm hard of hearing, perhaps I've always had that relationship with words that I don't, I don't hear them fully, so they're more malleable and sculptural, perhaps.
0: I uh, I revisited uh, Steve Aillet's work recently. Um, uh, Lint, you know, some stuff I had read years ago, and just uh, there's always more to find it. And I I love the bit in Lint where uh, Jeff Lint is visiting Burroughs and <laughs> takes the, uh, of the pieces of poetry on the floor and rearranges them <laughs> back into their original structure.
1: Yeah. Wow. I mean, whenever I uh, happen upon steve Eilert, i feel like i need to get back in my box because he is a total he's a genius uh, i love his use of words and uh is it called the true true original the heart of the original he's, yeah yeah that, that's, I think that's phenomenal yeah so hats off <laughs> literally
0: yeah i remember you introduced me to him um, after a gig way back when you did with Keith Top of the Pops, we were talking about books afterward, and you're like, "I work with this guy, you should check it out, and then I got the lint, and I was just blown away. oh wow, yeah, yeah, we were talking about sixties songs, and um she's my agony aunt, that verse, oh, especially to me, is very sixties
1: pop, yeah, um, did you notice it is it it's uh that's a moment on the album where i i thought you know i really like it sometimes when people put a track on that's a bit it's just the guitar i think i recorded the guitar and vocals at the same time on that um so you know it it does have an immediacy i hope uh yeah and t- I was walking through the party, said, You know, why do young people walk so slowly? Is it-
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So a lot of it is just uh, everyday experience. Um, but I, th- yeah, I think when I recorded that, I had a plan to make a whole album of just acoustic, very direct, um, slightly unhinged material but uh, as a, as often happens you know it became part of that album rather than another one and mm. yeah and it's got the uh sort of phase on the vocal which uh you know to fans of Sid Barrett might be familiar i'm reading um, uh, the book about Sid Barrett by Rob Chapman. Oh. Yeah, it's very good. Yes.
0: I would find that interesting, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's quite sad. Yeah. I've just got to a bit where, yeah, that's upsetting. And it's quite interesting, Uh, you know, and it resonates <laughs> with me. It's like Sid Barrett. Lots of people who were at art college with him said they were quite surprised that he went into pop because of his disposition was much more suited to painting. And uh, yeah, and I, and, and uh, I could connect with that. It's like what I was saying earlier. You know how painting is a is naturally about process, and uh, because. A lot of the syntax that I'm using is not about process. It's it's like the shiny image. Um, it creates a potential for uh, upset, I suppose. I mean, Sid Barrett reacted very strongly to being put in those positions of having to be part of a shiny package. When his whole the whole way he'd arrived at his creative process was through process and creating a tapestry of material vitality cut up and uh, not honing a sort of pre-given finished product. So, yeah, again, it's that sort of emergence versus entropy thing, you know, but uh, by all accounts, it, Whilst well, a lot of people say, if you know, it made him quite a difficult personality for for a period. Anyway, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I love those songs, and yeah, that period of songwriting is is a very special time. You know, I I think I used to. I find it hard to understand why that hadn't been developed more, you know, the whole idiom of 60s psychedelic expanded songwriting. You know, I remember thinking, oh, like I'm the walrus, you know, that's just like the pinnacle of pop writing. But we've gone back to this sort of conventional pre-given linguistic structure of songwriting um, and, uh, my boys used to have to listen to nuggets, you know, the sort of psychedelic compilation mm. in the car quite a lot. <laughs> and I think a lot of those songs have that sort of combination of, uh, sort of expanded psychotropic encounter, but also with the everyday.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you make yeah. a very good point about that being uh, a <laughs> how how to go how <laughs> how that kind of got dropped from uh, you know mainstream pop yeah. music. Whereas the, you know there are quite a few people who I listen to who continued with that. I mean, Robin Hitchcock probably the first one that comes to mind. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, lyrically, yeah. At least.
0: But yeah. Yeah, it would it would be nice to hear more of that sort
1: of yeah. Thing. Well, I just don't think songs have to make sense. I mean, but, you know, they have a sense. And uh, the obvious example is, you know, Bob Dylan, just like massively resonant songwriter who managed to sort of weave meaning and a visceral aesthetic together. Um, And I can imagine that's why... The Beatles felt quite competitive with him because he he opened it up in in that way, and and I think um, as you probably know, you know, with songwriting, you can be quite explicit, but uh, sometimes you just have to go with the aesthetic and the the sound and the feel of, of the uh, the words. Mm and a meaning emerges yeah it's a ritualistic uh uh what's you know it's a way of deciphering meaning through ritual sometimes i mean i've spoken to eddie argos from art brew about this he's you know because he's totally the opposite i think you know he's thinking i'm going to write this the song is about this and it's going to be this um Whereas uh, I think largely I set off and find out what the song is about through making the song. Yeah. And, I mean, Eddie's probably far more intelligent than me in that he can do that. You know, my intelligence comes from below. <laughs> it's, or if I have an intelligence, it is from below and it comes up And if I'm lucky, it's like, oh, that was, that was quite articulate.
0: I often have a thing where like the lyric will emerge and I'll fight with it because I don't, for some reason, I don't want that to be the lyric. Though deep down I've, you know, I know I need to accept that that (laughs) is the lyric. (laughs) That is what this song is, you know, how it's becoming. yeah it's quite an odd i don't know why what that block is but i i come up against it quite a bit actually but then you realize that no no this is this is what it is and this is how it shall be
1: yeah that's interesting isn't it i mean i i often think that's my cognitive controller um who's thinking about what other people think hmm. um uh, uh, yeah and I have to be very careful that I don't try and take too much credit and get carried away with myself, oh, that was good of me writing that song that was because it doesn't really work like that you know the the bit of me that is reflecting and post rationalizing was not that involved, but mm. it's a bit of me that likes it when people say how much they like the song, yeah thanks. Uh, <laughs> You know, I don't really get it, but you know, and I'm not afraid to not understand it and for people to tell me uh, that that emerges in the song and, and I hadn't really noticed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: So there are a couple more songs on the record I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> um yeah. We're all in love with Kate.
1: Oh yeah. I mean We are. (laughs) Yeah. No, I had a Facebook crush, I think, when I wrote that. Uh, But then it quickly emerged that there are various Kates throughout my life. And
0: uh, same here, actually.
1: Yeah. And the funniest one was, yeah, Kate Pearson from the B 52s.
0: I was going to ask about her. I saw the uh, your tweet about it the other day.
1: Yeah, because my next door neighbor's sister, Kate, God bless her. um, She was called Kate, and and she looked like Cindy, uh, Cindy Wilson. Hmm. But I, I therefore thought Cindy Wilson was Kate ah but until i was about 51 and i'm a big big fan of the b52s and i thought cindy wilson was kate pearson all that time of buying i don't know how i not managed to see that they weren't who i thought they were but uh yeah i was reflecting upon that the other day and i realized that how cindy wilson and kate pearson were potentially a massive influence on me maybe more you know maybe more than fred the although you know because he had the moustache and but that it was their love of wigs that they, they were very strong emotionally resonant performers but they weren't afraid to change and cut into the sort of seriousness of emotion and, and, and mix it up. And that I think uh, that tone uh, has stuck with me, yeah, because some of their uh, performances are very uh, emotionally unsettling. You know, Give Me Back My Man, and it's... it's Powerful, powerful stuff. But in a way that you don't really hear from other bands, you know. It's, mm. it's not a sort of broadcast emotion, it's more of an effective frequency.
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: a felt intensity. Yeah. So, uh, other Kates. <laughs> <laughs> well, who are your Kates? <laughs>
0: Oh, uh actually I I go this is like the first page of uh the my memoir I put out, Nick Cave's bar. Um the first page de- lists all my Kates who were um really? ones I knew in real life. Yeah. Because it was, uh each chapter I named after Nick Cave.ler excuse me, you know, we were looking for his bar that never didn't actually exist, but first chapter is I want to tell you about a girl. And the woman who told me that Nick Cave owned a bar in Berlin was named Katie. So I, uh, I led up to her with the list of my cats.
1: <laughs> wow. That's funny. <laughs> That's uh, a nice moment of synchronicity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that track's got the professor drumming on as well. Nice. I, I love the one. I don't know if you've noticed, but the professor shapes a track with his drumming. It's different to have it. Yeah, no, uh, I've always thought he has a very empathetic way of feeling the song in his drumming. And I love the way he steers it um, through his playing, you know, which is, yeah, he's an he's enormous drummer. A lefty, uh, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And to, I, I, the weird thing is, when he used to come around to my house, he had never played the drums so i've kind of witnessed him from being not a drummer at all to a technically accomplished enormous drummer wow yeah excellent yeah so there's a bit of a mystery there it's like how do you do that you know but uh
0: The other one I wanted to ask you about was Seeping Into Space. Another chorus I really like. The what? The chorus. Another chorus that I really like.
1: Which bit's the chorus? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: The major key bit, I guess.
1: Oh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know if you gathered that that song was written on a workshop. I I like that. It's, it sounds a bit sort of cultish, <laughs> this, uh, but I uh, I went to America uh, with Tony, who Tony Sampson, who was uh, my doctorate supervisor, and we did some workshops at the summer school for the study of affect. You know, affect as in feeling, um, and uh, encounter through uh what i say is an extra embodied experience and as part of that workshop i as uh in my other guys as professor kimmy pekpo i um gathered people to write a song so they'd heard our talk and our lecture and then all the ideas from that sort of resurfaced in in the lyric and um there was a lady there, and uh, I'm really sorry, I can't remember her name, but it's on it's on the album actually. Now, I'd have to. But she um, we were talking about fiction machines. She you know it begins fiction machines or yeah. work. <laughs> uh, so like the fiction machine to, is to me uh, what I was saying about sort of real life is like a fictive immersion um, emergence if you're living in a sort of aesthetic ontology you know where you feel the creative uh vibrancy of the cosmos you know you make your life this sort of fictive emergence and um at times that can feel like obvious um k gordon yeah she was like late to the seminar and she said oh yeah like we had a whiteboard there and Kay is a teacher and I think she found that problematic so having having to write on a whiteboard which I can totally understand um and but she said Someone said, fiction machines are at work, as their lyric. And then Kay said, and to me, that's a kind of shutdown, but she was referring to the whiteboard.
0: Ah. And
1: and I was sitting there with my piano, uh, which they kindly lent me. It was a good piano. It was nice. And and that that's the thing I love about these workshops. That was a beautifully, actually intense emotional experience because I thought, I'm there with Tony. I've come from England. There's these people here in the seminar. I've said, we're going to write a song. Oh, shit. Kay's really, she says, to me, that's a kind of shutdown. And it's like you were saying, you've got to accept it. So I said, yeah, right. Okay. That This is the lyric. So I started fiction machines, at work, and to me that's a kind of shutdown. And uh and then we went, and it was a really <laughs> joyful experience. Once I accepted, I think you know the the whole smorgasbord of feelings as as uh, valid and verified within. tapestry of the song and not a sort of hey everyone this is great we're all having a great time (laughs) but you know the the shutdown becoming part of the joy was pivotal Mm -hmm. and uh yeah the other silent in sound seeping into space um that's angelica vasquait came up with that they're all credited on the album yeah and what was beautiful is like uh we're sitting there playing it and tony who was my doctorate supervisor just like plugged the guitar in and was playing along on the electric he'd been in a band himself but i you know it wasn't planned that we would do this in the lecture um so it yeah, but that was a peak moment. And and that is probably a good point to sort of mention that I think in terms of all my music and art, it's like finding the openings onto those moments that has kind of led what I do. Um, mm. And I always compare that to, you know, selling the cow for the magic beans. You should be pursuing a career, not trying to get magic beans, you know. So, but uh, it brings pleasures, uh, yes. So, yeah, yeah. And and that's, I mean, Tony, I played in the mix, and he said, Oh, yeah, the sound of error because I left some of his scratchy guitar in. And it, you know he probably would have liked to smooth it out, but um, it, it's that thing about yeah keeping some of the emergence uh, so. Uh,
0: so is the album out? like you can buy it online, but I, the CD is out yeah, you can next buy week.
1: It on my website. but it's going to be released through the world. Conglomerates um, later in the month. Okay. So in my, <laughs> I, I'm just like playing it. I thought, you know, I'll make a record and I'll release it to friends that, that have uh, been supportive, and uh, and that's not properly releasing it. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, I mean, these days it's so confusing, isn't it? You know, what is released, and I think. In my sort of uh, striated order, you know, releasing it is when it's on iTunes or Amazon.
0: <laughs> and the CD is a different version than what's online right now with a apparently uh, different track order and a different mix of Russian dolls.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For so, the collectors out there. Oh, yeah. The completest. <laughs> I should make the Russian dolls a free download, maybe. Um so that if you've got the album on CD, you get the new mix. Mm. Yeah, I just wasn't happy with the vocal. I mean, that's the treachery, isn't it, of digital technology. Mm. Yeah. But, um, yeah.
0: Well, I have to get going in a couple of minutes, but uh, anything else you want to add about the album?
1: Um, gosh, there, there probably is, org, like, um I'm immense to everyone who's paused it. Really, the pro... Ah, oh, are we back? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you keep moving, I'll know that you're still there. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're on a boat. I was going to say that... um you know sort of trusting the creative emergent process was really pleasurable when we we just made this video for a change of scene um and it's got the a lyric in it which is a uh, you probably would have grappled like i did uh, let's let's dive in a hollow submarine and uh it wasn't till i'd watched the video a few times i thought oh yeah like that's why he's wearing that hat um <laughs> you know so it kind of all seemed to fit into place so it was uh, the hat
0: uh, and the new wig
1: <laughs> yeah the hat could be the new <laughs> wig yeah um but I think when I wrote that lyric, I I'd suddenly had this feeling that actually, if I could get past all the sort of preconceived ideas, Yellow Submarine is a genius song. And it's about we all live in a sort of oceanic brain in a aesthetic, heightened awareness of cosmic aesthetic ontology. And that's what I think the song is. But it's become a sort of sticker of psychedelia which you don't see behind the surface anymore. Um, but you know it's a, in the town where I was born, you know like Jung's Liverpool as a sort of city of dreams mm. and uh, so, I had a sort of half idea of I'm going to write stuff about Yellow Submarine, but instead I included the lyric Hollow Submarine in the song for Change of Scene, which I think, you know, it's like seeking an opening onto an, another way of relating and being. Which, yeah, I'm just mm. an old hippie, I suppose. Which is no no bad thing, yeah. True. Yeah.
0: Cool. Thanks for coming on the show, Mikey.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's yours. Uh, no, it's a total pleasure. Yeah, m- Mr. Mikey. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Hope you enjoyed that. Always a pleasure to talk to Mikey. Do check out simply the best, which is out now, and much appreciated if you want to give Young Southpaws or a a listen. Don't forget to send me photos of you reading Nick Cave's bar. Thanks for listening. I'm going to play you out now on one of my favorites, actually my favorite song of the year, Russian Dolls, off Mikey's new
1: record. You and me, we're Russian dolls One inside, the other soul It's just a heart-shaped hole You and me, we're Russian on We take the highs, we take the lows We take the path to where it
2: goes I'm not the wiser,
1: but no one
2: Mm You and me, we're Russian